Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So on today's episode, I would like to talk to you about closure after a total knee replacement. Uh, And it seems like a pretty straightforward sort of topic, uh, but there are some little nuances. And, you know, the reality is that perception is in the eye of the person watching you. So I'm sure if there's lots of fellows and, and residents listening to this that you may tie and you may cut your stitches the same way every single time. And this doctor in this room is going to tell you that they're too close or it's too short. And this one, they're too far apart and it's too long. And you may even have the same doctor on individual stitches, you know, alter. So it's, it's what they see. So for that reason, just take a deep breath and, uh, you know, do the best that you can and, and move on. I've been there. I know what it feels like. Um, you know, but what you should take away from that more is, you know, well, well, why, you know, what if it's too short? You know, most commonly, if, if I find somebody cutting it too short, I'm always afraid that the knot's going to unravel if they didn't tie the knot in a perfect manner. And if they leave it too long, you know, it may irritate the soft tissues. Uh, and this becomes more important as you get closer to the skin. So, you know, just know that, as you're doing things, you know, you're, you're doing things in the perception of the person watching you and you're going to take all that information. And then when you move on, you're going to do it the way that you find works best for you. And that's going to turn out uh, to be different based on experience. So as time goes on, you may change what you initially started doing based on what you see with your post-operative patient. So, you know, when it comes to the closure, you know, at this point, the knee's in, it's well balanced, you've washed, you've irrigated, bone bits are out, cement bits are out, and now we're going to close. So when I open, you know, my knee, you know, I use my little bump. So my bump is eight towel stick wrapped in Coban. You may have people that make the incision with it straight. You may make the incision with it hyperflexed. Um, there's reasons for all of those. And when people close, you see a lot of people will talk about closing it with the knee flexed. Um, I think it's probably important to close and open in the same way because you're trying to reapproximate or recreate what you open. So if you open with it straight and then you close with it in flexion, you may be altering some of those soft tissue tension. So for me, you know, I have my bump underneath the knee. I open it with those those eight towels underneath the knee and I close it in that same way. Um, so when I'm closing it, I'm working up proximally first. And the reason is that I want to be able to close initially um, to get my second assist out of the way so my first assist can break down the table and the second assist can then help close. And this helps the room turnover. So that that way I have the Gelpie up top and my Richardson retractor up top. And if you remember back to when we did the opening arthrotomy, that first assist then takes the marking pen and marks the arthrotomy above the patella. So that's the first stitch that I throw in. And I typically will use a number one ethabond and I typically will throw a figure of eights. Um, I have used number one, I've used swedged on, I've used pop-offs. I've tried some of the barbed sutures. Just philosophically, I'm always concerned of you know, just running one stitch in the fear that if it does break, you know, am I going to have an arthrotomy disruption? I know some people have put a few interrupteds and then overlapped that with the barb. So 
it's one of those things. For me, it works. Um, I haven't had issues. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of changing a way to something new when you're leaving something that's not causing a problem. Um, but there's lots of different options out there. So I'll use number one ethabonds typically. Um, however, if I have someone that's quite thin, when I get down distally below the patella, in those thinner patients, I do switch over to a Vicryl, so they will dissolve, and I don't have this prominent knot distally in those thinner, skinnier patients. Uh, but what I do is I'll do my number um, one figure of eights, and I will throw them from the little mark from the marking pen approximately. And what I find is using that rich retractor helps. Now, if it's really hard to see, this is where you can actually flex the knee up for the top stitch or two. That little move will cheat that part of the arthrotomy into the incision. Um, But once I get those, I will cut those, get my second assist out of there, and then we'll work on the distal aspect. Now, if you're alone, um, one of the things that I find to be really, really helpful is you can use a two-prong rake, um, or you can actually use a towel clip. And if you actually clip this on the medial tissue, then what I'll do is usually with a two-prong rake, I can use a mallet or with a device like a towel clip, you can actually clip the towel clip and take a rongeur, you know, bend it a little bit so the handle blades fit inside the holes and allow that as your retractor. So this way you have someone at the back table giving you stitches, but you're alone otherwise. This helps retract that medial tissue out of the way. And then I work from the hash marks down. Now, the important part about this all the way down is, and again, this goes back to the beginning, you needed to have a good arthrotomy, especially distally. So if you created railroad tracks when you made your medial release, it's really, really hard to close that in a watertight fashion. So the importance of the closure begins at the exposure. And if you make the exposure perfect, then you should have a nice flap of tissue medially that you can now close down. Now, what's interesting, and I want you to keep this in mind. So I try to make all of my figure of eights and each of the stitches equidistant apart, both from the arthrotomy line and from the hole marks from each individual part. So if you took a dot and you just basically made a dot all the way down, the spacing between each figure of eight and each suture is all the way the same from the top down to the bottom. And I believe that this distributes the forces better um, and it prevents puckering because if you take a big bite and you pucker it, you could potentially tighten up the extensor mechanism, and that can affect pain and flexion and the patellofemoral joint forces. Now, it is important to be aware that you can modify that. So if you have someone that was hyperlax, maybe they had lots of osteophytes, and now all of a sudden your patellofemoral joint feels loose or floppy, and then on purpose you were taking a bigger bite, you may actually have the ability to better recreate a normal tightness of that patellofemoral joint. Um, But I believe that if you just restore it to what you had in the majority of individuals, you're going to restore their normal kinematics, but you don't want to take too big of a bite and and tighten that up. Um, Now, the other part of the exposure is as you're coming distally, you hopefully had that move where you put your finger on the medial board of the patella, so you left the cuff of tissue off the patella, so you had tissue to close from both sides. Now, if you made the mistake of cutting too close to the bone that you have to be aware that when you close it, a couple options, you know, if there's a little cuff of tissue and it's structurally sound, you know, you could repair tissue to tissue. You know, the other option is usually a small drill bit or a towel clip to make little holes in the bone and you can take the medial soft tissue and then your stitch goes through the bone to make sure you get a good anchor point there. Now, as I get distal though, what I find is to be really important is sometimes those stitches at the very bottom of your arthrotomy will tend to get a little closer to the actual arthrotomy line and a little closer to each other. 
Because if you're far from the arthrotomy line or far from each other, especially if you're throwing figure of eights, and then you throw the stitch and you throw your knot, especially if you pull and crank down on the knot, you're going to tear the tissue, especially in your older individuals. And that's going to lead to leakage, and that's going to lead to drainage, and that can lead to infection. Um, So it's really, really important as you get down distally to make sure that those stitches are as perfect as perfect can be. And I find that as I get closer in thinner tissue, the stitches get a little closer to the edge of the arthrotomy, a little closer to one another when we're talking about a figure of eights. And when you throw these knots, the knot should be thrown just to oppose the tissue. And you shouldn't cinch it super tight because you're going to tear it. You're going to cause a rent, which is going to cause leakage. Okay, so now we've we've closed that arthrotomy, and I want this to be watertight. Um, Why? Because if you do have drainage and there's a hole there, that can be the difference between a superficial and a deep infection. So I really want that to be watertight. And at this point, then I actually inject. And for a couple of reasons, I've I've been through the gamut of the periarticular blocks, and there's lots of different cocktails that you can find out there. And I've done intraarticular injections with multiple options and cocktails and medications. And, you know, it comes down to simplicity that I personally, when we looked at our patients and, you know, their pain scores and utilization of narcotics, I never saw a statistically significant difference in my patients. Um, so I don't necessarily take the time to do a large periarticular injection and the different cocktails. I didn't see much of a difference in the long-term, short-term, little bit of benefit. So for sake of ease, uh, we get, depending on what the pharmacy has bought that month, a 50 or 60 cc bottle of quarter percent marking with epinephrine, and that just in, gets injected after the arthrotomy is closed. Why? I believe that the marking does help with pain. I believe that the epinephrine helps with bleeding, and it causes a tamponade effect. It also lets you test, do I have a watertight seal? And occasionally you'll see a little hole and go, oh, I need to throw one more stitch there. So the tamponade effect, I think, is helpful to prevent bleeding. And if you think about it, you know, if someone does have a drain, if they're still a drain user, and you get a phone call at two at night because the drain's putting out an excessive amount of fluid, you know, what do you do? Up, oh, clamp the drain. Why? You created a tamponade effect. So if you can create the tamponade effect with the local, um, then I believe that's helpful. And I've always been curious too, again, you know, here, here's a great study idea. I've always been curious as to, you know, what does that pH do with regards to the risk of postoperative infection, you know, and is that pH of the local anesthetic helpful in decreasing your risk of postoperative complication? Don't know. Be interesting to look at and study. Um, so the next step for me then is the, um, is the soft tissue uh, and closing that dead space. So thin patients, thicker patients, right? So I typically will throw three ovicrols interrupted. And usually there's two up top in that thicker fat pad area above the patella. And then usually one distally around the region of the patellar tendon. Um, Thinner patients, there may not be much of anything. You know, thicker patients, I may, you know, throw a couple of those um, and then uh, instrument tie them, use a couple more, but basically trying to close the dead space. If you have a huge, thick, thick area, um, then I will sometimes actually run a quill in that area just to make sure that my dead space is closed off. It's really important distally. So again, with the exposure that you didn't stick your finger and create a huge dead space over the pez because they're going to collect hematoma there. But this is the realities of if you didn't have the greatest exposure, the tissue is really crappy and you couldn't close distally. Sometimes we'll use a little extra stitches down bottom and create this fat pad cap over the inferior aspect of the incision to hopefully prevent any leakage out of that area. So then we get to the skin. So again, I've done everything. I've done staples, dermabond, stereostrips, Prineo, Monocryl, um, you name it, I've done it, I've tried it. So my current protocol is that I will use uh, interrupted 2-0 vicryl sutures pop-offs. 
Uh, and this is followed by the Pranayo or Prinio, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm not sure what the appropriate way is, followed by Dermabond. Now, the, the issue that I had with monocryl is monocryl is operator dependent. So if you do a great monocryl, it does take time. You know, it's one of the downsides to it. Um, but if you're really good, um, it does give a really, really good closure. But it has to be perfect because, you know, if you're off as far as levels, you get a skin flap, that's going to lead to issues with the cosmesis of the scar, uh, but also issues with drainage um, and poor healing if you have a flap which is not opposed uh, to the opposite side. So monocryl is great in really, really good hands, um, but you have to be very, very diligent with how you use monocryl. Um, and then with staples, he always had some issues with staples. Patients hate them. Um, sometimes the scars look atrocious with staples. Sometimes not. I have some staple scars that look great. Um, but some people do get the little, you know, Frankenstein-looking scars. You do get issues sometimes with little staple abscesses um, and the redness. Some people react to it, and they just hate coming in and getting them out. So for a while, I was using Dermabond, and I would cover that up um, with Steri-Strips. But when the Perneo came out, I started looking into this and used it sparingly, again, because I'm not a huge fan of changing when I don't have major problems, but it was something that I thought may give me a good alternative. So the trick with the Perneo is that it has to go on flexed because it is somewhat stretchy, but if you put it on with the leg in extension and then you flex them, there's going to be more pulling and greater risks of shear uh, which could increase your risk of fracture blisters and reactions. So knee flexed up, um, Perneo goes on. Typically, they just use one of those sheets for a knee, um, and then the Dermabond. And it's always nice because you got like 10 times as much Dermabond in those Dermabond little wands than you do in an actual Dermaton, uh, Dermabond um, pen. Um, so you definitely have, have plenty. But you got to make sure, because it's sometimes hard to see, that you wipe off the Dermabond, you know, around the edges. Um, now, with the 2.0, however, it is important to make sure that you bury your knots. And I typically just use, you know, three knots. If they're three good knots, it should be enough. And, you know, it's important because you're going to hear usually from your attendings about people spitting stitches. It's a really common scenario. So it's actually in my post-operative patient information handouts right around that four to six week mark that this is what might happen. This is what you might see. Um, and this is what you should do if it does occur. But if you have your stitches really, really close to the skin, I believe those patients are more likely to spit a stitch. So, you know, 2 then the uh, Perneo, then the Dermabond. And the next important thing is making sure that the Dermabond dries. It does take a little bit of time, but if you put your dressings on before it's dry, everything sticks to it the following morning if you go to change your... Uh, change your dressings. So that's the really trick there. Now, once everything's dry and I'm taking the dressings down at this point, um, then we're, you know, we're dry, we're putting on dressings. The last thing I do is I take my photo or my picture. So again, I've talked about this a little bit before and we were working on a study um, that hopefully should be done soon and, and coming out at the time of me uh, creating this episode. But um, this little trick and caveat, I believe is extremely helpful. So, you know, what this is, is at the end of the surgery, you're just lifting your leg up and you can do this, you know, one of two ways you can, you know, do it with gravity. So lift the bottom of the thigh and just let the knee hang and take a gravity picture from the side. Um, or you can, you know, lift the leg up and, and bend it. I typically am looking for the calf to touch the hamstring and plopping the foot there, have my assistant hold it. And I take a picture. I have a little board, which has patient's initials, the side, um, and the date of surgery and their age. Uh, and this goes directly into their electronic medical record. So this way they can access it. The therapist can access it. It's great information and data to show that at the end of the procedure, this was the flexion that you obtained. But I find that by giving this to the patients, it gives that mental 
incentive that you can bend it. And it helps them that when they bend their knee and they feel pain, but they're only halfway through that bend that the picture shows them, they know that they're not hurting anything, that they're not breaking anything, that they're not doing any damage. And what I found over the years is that those patients do better with therapy, they move their knee quicker, they get flexion quicker, and then they have less pain. And a lot of them love it. You know, they love that idea of the picture. Um, so, you know, there you go. It's the watertight closure followed by the injection, followed by the skin closure of your choice. Um, and in, extremely important, I believe, um, is that photographic picture documentation of what the knee did do and how you were able to bend the knee. Um, in the next episode, I'm going to just go over some minor uh, kind of housekeeping uh, tips and reminders and review a couple things of all of the episodes that we've gone through so far. So I hope that you've been enjoying um, what you've been listening to. I think I'm getting a little bit more um, at ease in front of the microphone and figuring out all this editing stuff on my computer. In the meantime, stay safe. If you found the information helpful and know somebody that you believe would also benefit from this podcast, please share the information with them. Please subscribe if you uh, haven't already, and uh, please leave a, a review if you think that it's been helpful. This helps uh, bring other people in to find out the uh, the episodes uh, and what they can do for them and what they can help them with, and I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.